Making a recipe that calls for butter? Make it better with European butter from France. With a minimum of 82% butter fat, it's no wonder French butter is the number one choice of chefs the world over. Whether you're whipping up an omelet, sauteing vegetables, or spreading it on toast, the rich, cultured flavor of butter from France always elevates. Be sure to look for Made in France on the label. And for recipes, tips, and tricks, go to tasteeurope.com. Eliza, we're here at 300 episodes. Can you imagine 300 episodes when we launched in 2018? No, I think 300 episodes is huge, and I'm so excited to get to be part of it. Yeah, it's it's really fun to be here at 300, and it's been really a great ride, and 300 is just the start. I just want to thank everyone for all the notes we get on Instagram and, and in our inbox. We get notes all the time. Thank you for listening to the show, supporting it. If you haven't reviewed, you should. But really, it's such an honor to do this show for you. We love doing it here. And we have an extra great episode for you today with Sola El Whaley. So let's get to it. Let's get to it. Working in a test kitchen is different because you got a walk-in fridge and you have a bunch of people tasting and giving you opinions. But when you're at home, you're alone. Mm -hmm. But it's like you kind of get like caught up in your head and it's hard to know if something's good or if something's done. Sometimes I'll test something forever and then ultimately go back to the first version. This is Taste. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. We're thrilled to welcome Sola Whaley back on the show. Sola is a prodigious recipe developer, a fixture of Food YouTube, and a judge on HBO's cooking competition, The Big Brunch. She's also released her debut cookbook, Start Here, Instructions for Becoming a Better Cook. It's a terrific book, and we talk about many of the recipes, techniques, and how Sola photographed the book in her New York City apartment. Man, the three weeks that she shot it, wow, I cannot imagine being there. I love the photos. They're great. We also talk about her love of Top Chef, her own reality cooking show, Star Turn, and what has excited her most, including breakfast at the Salka. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Sola. Sola Whaley, welcome to This Is Taste. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm, I'm great. It's great to see you. Thank you for coming into the studio. Yeah, thanks for having me. We were talking quinoa crunch off mic. Mm-hmm. My favorite photo in the book, there's many favorites. I just love that looks so delicious with Green Goddess. I'm glad it looks delicious. It is delicious. <laughs> okay, it is. So we, we accomplished our goal. So you've been spending a lot of time at Veselka. I've been noticing. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I, I, I absolutely love that choice. It's just a great restaurant. Why, why are you there so much? Well, a big reason is because our life is really chaotic because we have a newborn. So it's you can't like have a dinner reservation. There's no way I'm getting anywhere at any time, as you can tell as I'm late today by like, what, 30 minutes? (laughs) Listen, time is a construct, especially when we're recording podcasts. It doesn't matter. Yeah, the baby's in control. So the great thing about Faselka is if she's like if she's fed and pooped and quiet, we're like, okay, let's get let's get out of the house. We can just like go to Faselka, get a table and um, they have the best dog service in town. Okay. Yes. When we get there, the first thing they do, we have two dogs. The first thing they do is bring two bowls of cold water for them. Wow. And peanut butter biscuits. They actually give the dogs a little bit of amuse. Mm -hmm. The dogs get a little amuse. And it's like really great. The dogs know Mm. as soon as we walk by, they're like, that's the peanut butter biscuit place. It's very (laughs) smart. Um, So like the whole family 
Loves it. Working on the dog level is great marketing. It's really smart. The dogs smart. know. They'll like mm-hmm. actually lead the, the owner there. And the water's actually cold. Yeah. They the water a- for the humans that they pour at the table is not cold. Not cold, but, but they the actually... water for the dogs is cold. Love that. I love that. Is there is there something you order there all the time? I, is that restaurant? You could go morning and have like the, the blintzes. You could have the burger if you want. What do you like? I usually go with breakfast no matter what time we go. Yeah, I get yeah, yeah. two eggs, scrambled side of tomato, toast, yeah. and I like their pork sausage. And then him and I will split a waffle. So definitely not in like the Ukrainian vibe. You're going more traditional American breakfast. Yeah, but sometimes instead of the waffles, we might do a plate of pierogies. Pierogies. So thank you. All right. There's pierogies once in a while. Okay. Depends on the mood. And then if we're feeling really crazy, they have a really delicious honey cake. Ooh. Um, if you haven't had it before, it's um, it's like really thin layers of this burnt honey biscuit that's layered with cream and it's kind of like an icebox cake it gets mm-hmm. softened and there's a little bit of bitterness from that burnt honey and it's like it's so delicious and the Viselka one they throw some walnuts in there oh for nice crunch. yep with a little texture in there mm-hmm. enjoy that I'm, i've never had the cakes or pastries there i've actually it's quite good i recommend it they make um, everything in house i love that we'll go to the Viselka in the east village um let's talk about outback Okay. So you worked at Outback. I did not work at Outback, but a lot of my friends did in high school, and I felt like I was a default member of the Outback community, and um, what a party for those guys. Talk about out working at Outback Steakhouse. Well, since I've mentioned this, so many people have come up to me and told me they also worked at Outback. Yeah. So I feel like it's the place where a lot of people start. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. I was a busser, and I was really bad at it because I was just not physically strong enough mm-hmm. i mean it's a big the bin and it's tough because the, the the plates are heavy a lot of those restaurants have like those sturdy plates you know so they don't break um but my favorite memory was that when a lot of folks don't finish the bloomin onion or is it called an awesome blossom there no it's the bloomin onion outback because I, I know the, Chili's has one uh, that's the awesome blossom the bloomin onions like the the uh, with the australian patois you know the voice uh and yeah. the commercials um, wait, so you have like these scrapes, these leftover half onions? Yeah, uh-huh. I would I would live off of half like everyone's leftover onion. Like no one finishes the bloomin' onion unless it's a big table. Yeah. Like a couple can't finish a bloomin' onion. So you're telling me that there is a side of the onion that was untouched that you got to actually enjoy. I would eat a lot of leftover bloomin' onions. I love them. And I recently <laughs> got one. Where? Like at uh, Outback? I, this is crazy, but I got a bloomin' onion delivered. Uh, no, it's not crazy. It's fucking genius. I didn't even know they could deliver bloomin' onions. I was just like, all I could think about was bloomin' Oh, I mean, I've been pregnant recently, so yeah. I think that's where <laughs> this is coming from. Yeah. But it was my first bloomin' onion in like 20 years, and they are still amazing, even delivered soggy, so perfectly Okay, I was like, seasoned. it has to be a little soggy when it's It is delivered. a little soggy, yeah. and I still loved it, and I really want to go there in person and have it now. I, um, as well. And it's the sauce too. Now Mm -hmm. from your, you know, with your food science and culinary background, you, you could break down the sauce now. What do you think is in that sauce? I mean, I feel like it's like a barbecue ranch, right? I believe it has barbecue in it because it's very sweet, like barbecue sauce. I think there's like a chipotle pepper in it Mm -hmm. too. A little bit of smoky. It's got smoke Uh more than like the standard barbecue. And of course it's definitely like a ranch Ish or cream, cream like sour cream. I mean, tons of mayo for sure. Yeah, so like it's heavy on the mayo, and something about dipping something fried in mayo, even though it's just like 
fat on fat. It really works. Do you ever do you ever marinate chicken with or, or, or cure chicken with mayonnaise? Do you ever do that? I've tried it. It's not for me. Yeah. Because I feel like when you cook mayonnaise, like a lot of people do grilled cheese with mayonnaise. When you cook the mayonnaise, yes. it gets a bit eggy, a little sulfurous. Yeah. Sulfurous? Yeah, sulfurous, Natalie. Oh, and it. and and I'm I think I'm just sensitive to that taste doesn't really work for yeah. me. But I mean, if it works for you, it adds a richness that you maybe aren't ready for with the chicken. I've done, I did it last night, so I'm bringing it up. Oh wait, how'd you do it? Uh, we did. It's actually something we're working on for taste. Rob Newton did a recipe. It's uh, we do like fish so- like mayonnaise, fish sauce, um, soy sauce or tamari, mm. um, paprika, um, and sesame oil. So it's like that kind of angle. Well, I imagine the fish sauce will cover any. Egginess. I think so. And I've done it with just lemon. And there's like lemon zest and lemon juice, of course. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, definitely have had uh, mixed mixed results. This one worked for me. Okay. Um, thank you for asking. Um, I want to ask you about Big Brunch. Okay. Love the show. You were a judge on the show. Daniel Harthausen has become a friend of mine and he won. And he's told me about this like summer camp vibe that during production. And just... I have a second follow-up question related to reality television. But first, what was it like judging a show like this? Um, well, I'm a huge fan of cooking competition shows. I know. So it was like surreal to be in one. I grew up watching um, the original Iron Chef with my mom. And I remember we'd always talk about how amazing it would be to like taste all that food. And then my husband and I basically built our relationship off of watching Top Chef. We've been we've yeah. been watching it together the whole time we knew each other. Actually, the way my husband got me to hang out with him was that he had Top Chef loaded on his laptop. He had like, <laughs> it was like before streaming, so he had like a loaded yes. on the laptop. Yeah, like that I, was a big deal. I got the DVDs from you know? season four. Like, I was like, yeah, okay, I'll hang out with you. Um, That's so sweet. So it was really, it was really cool to do that. Um, but I was also really scared because it's the biggest production I've been on. Yeah. On a cameras. Um, I was really nervous and like, I was sitting next to Dan Levy and, you know, when you see a face that you've seen a lot hmm. on screen in person, it's like really trippy. Yeah. And like actually his dad came on set once and I oh, had man. to just, I, I actually couldn't say hi to him. I ran away. Because <laughs> it's like, you know, we've been seeing that face since we were kids. You've been seeing those eyebrows. Those eyebrows. Had, like yes. literally since you're like, like ever. Yeah. So it was a little overwhelming. So I had to trick my brain into thinking it wasn't a show. It was the only way I could function you're great on it you're terrific you're really natural i had to pretend it was good acting then or delusion or stress and doing it i don't know yeah i just i like blocked out all the cameras i didn't even notice them until the end um and that was the only way i got through it do you want to do it again oh totally we're ho- hoping we can't we don't know yet but... oh is it one of those i don't know yet like yeah it's studio... one of, i actually don't know the yet. the studio is yet to decide if maybe they're by the time it. this comes out I hope so. We're running it pretty soon. Um, (laughs) So so now it's a Top Chef thing because I want to ask you a couple things. Can you like rank your top five chef testants? Chef testants? Chef testants? Well, I don't, I I have a top five, but I don't, can I do them in no particular order? No order whatsoever. But like my favorite five. Separated by semicolons, no numbers. Yeah, I like that. Okay, so Brooke definitely is one of them. I think she's... So talented and so fun to watch her cook. Mm-hmm. And you can watch her now on that Guy Fieri's Guy's Grocery Games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a lot of fun. Um, Kristen, who yeah. is going to be the new judge. Yeah, I think that was a great decision. Amazing, because she's 
She's like, I feel like she's like every person who goes on Top Chef, their hero, because she got eliminated and came back through um, Last Chance Kitchen. And she also, she played really honorably. She didn't throw anyone under the bus. She didn't like cause any drama. She just like cooked really good food. That's just like, that's like more modern Top Chef. If you go like season one through six, it's like, there's no honor. No, there's no honor. But those are really fun to watch. Well, let's keep going. You have three more to give me. Um, I also love uh, Buddha. He recently won the latest, like, Top Chef, and he won the International Top Chef. They did, like, the last season, they did, like, a special episode. I forgot what they called it. But it was all of the people, all the top contestants from, like, the global Top Chef franchise. Oh, that's what it was, right? Gail was telling me that before. Um, And they came together, and he won. So he won two Top Chefs back-to-back. Dang. And I really like him because he's so, his food is just, like, really pretty, really thoughtful. I think he has some of the best plating. Um, and I love that he can do pastry and savory like equally well because a lot of them get scared of that and he's just he embraces it and I think that's why he's so good Yeah, because he can do all of it and you see a lot of savory techniques in his pastry and vice versa so I I love that Um, blurring those lines is cool especially mm -hmm. it makes good for for good TV yeah how many I think you have two more two more well definitely Blaze Richard Blaze yeah Um, Richard Blaze my gosh he's also someone who played with so much honor like he and like when he won the all-star season, he helped everyone out. He was not like one of these guys who was like uh, all for himself. Like he helped people out and he's still and he just it wasn't like he was competing with anyone who's competing with himself. So I love watching people who compete in that way because that's really you can really only do your best, mm-hmm. not better than anyone else. So I love that perspective. And he's also like really great with the modern stuff and like not doing it in a stupid way. <laughs> no, totally agree with you. Um, and then I love Hung. Yeah. Oh my God. Let's talk about him. He's genius. Just technically, so. Oh good. my gosh. Um, and one of our favorite scenes from Top Chef is when they do a relay race, and Hung has to break down chickens. Yeah. And he does it so fast, and him and I actually rewatch that all the time. Just like as a straight like inspo, like when you're like about to cook something. No, we just we just, just love watch watching it. We yeah. just like it's like uh it's like when when if you're like really into Ham's really into soccer, so he'll watch like a cool goal over and over again. Yeah, yeah, right. Grace goals, YouTube. Yeah, yeah. It's so, so, so it's good. like the same thing. I don't watch sports, but No, he hung his was an is uh amazing chef. Mm-hmm. And I remember when he was in New York post that up season and I I'm not sure where he ended up. Do you have you connected with him at all? No, I haven't connected with any of them. No, yeah, yeah. It would be weird. I've watched them so many times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've rewatched Top Chef too many times. Thank you for the the Top Chef talk. I, last last comment or Gail is the truth. I feel Gail like every Podman's great and the, mm-hmm. you know got her farewell. Tom, I don't know, not for me. <laughs> Gail though is so great. Like she is such a smart. Just she's an advocate first off for like chefs and cooks, and she's like fucking smart about food. And she has the funniest lines. There are lines of yes. Gail's that him and I repeat to ourselves just randomly <laughs> uh, for no reason at all. I love it. I, I'm glad we could have that conversation about Top Chef. I feel like we should do more Top Chef talk. I could do a whole podcast about Top Chef. <laughs> you be careful, Sola. If if someone wants to do that, you be careful. Like I think him and our our dream would be to just Rewatch. do. Yes. You got to do the rewatch. Obviously, you start with S1, E1. Do you guys want to do that? Yeah, let's do it. Because we'll, like, (laughs) that's like our dream come true to just sit around and talk about. S1, E1, S1, E2. Yeah, we would totally do Do you know Harold? Have you ever met Harold? Haven't met anybody. Season one winner. Amazing chef. Mm -hmm. Cool guy. 
um, I mean, his Kinshop, the restaurant he had in New York, was amazing. I thought it was a great restaurant. I don't think we've been there. It's mm-hmm. closed like in 2010. Mm. I mean, it's anyways. We should do this. Let's let's. let's Are we not rolling? <laughs> let's figure it out. Let's figure it out. We can make it. Oh, happen. I thought you meant let's do this like the. Podcast oh, let's, let's start the podcast. Now. Let's yeah. start the podcast now. Um, let's actually transition to start here because. It's an amazing book. We were talking off mic about it, and um, I really, really like it. I, I think start here is a is a tricky concept when you're doing a big 200 recipe book, and you're you're just really covering. It's a general cookbook with a lot of general ideas. Um, I mean, the first I the thought I had was like, how the hell do you shoot this? All of these recipes and make it look consistent and really interesting. Sounds it sounds like you did it in your kitchen at home in the East Village. We Talk did it in that. our house. Um... Which now that I think about it was crazy, but renting a studio is very expensive. It is, man. So we were going to make it work. So we bought a giant, we have a tiny fridge. Like if you live in Manhattan, you know this fridge. It's not a full-size fridge. It's not a mini fridge. It's like, it's not a girl, not yet a woman. It's It's just a recorder. Yeah. Yeah. And it barely functions for our daily life. So to make (laughs) it work for the shoot, we actually got a Yeti cooler. Oh, yeah. That we put in the backyard. And we also, we intentionally did the shoot in February. So we know it would be cold, um, and just kept replenishing it with bodega That's ice. Really, you, you that was your decision. You knew you had needed a fridge, and it was like let's make the fridge outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and we we've sh- we've shot a lot in our apartment, so we know that in the summer it just gets too hot. Yeah. So the food would die, um, yeah, and it would yeah. be really hard to like prep uh, temperature sensitive things like fish and whipped cream and things like that. So strategy. You shot the book over three weeks. That's mm-hmm. 200 recipes over three weeks, 15 days. It's like 14, 15 recipes a day, mm-hmm. knocking them out. Photos are beautifully styled. What's the team like? So the team was myself, my husband, Laura Murray did all the photos. Um, and we worked with Helena Picone as like a culinary assistant. I also work with her for History Channel and... Um, the History Channel shoots are really intense. We shoot four episodes a day, and we're making wow. crazy food. So I knew she could keep up with the pace. She, her parents have a restaurant. She like has that like restaurant mm-hmm. energy. Like you're doing service every day of the shoot. Yeah. So like we like we I knew she would be amazing for this because she's got that stamina. Because a lot of food stylists are like they want to tweeze something for hours, and like no. we don't have time for that. No. So it was a great solid team. Laura's amazing too because she's super talented. So she can, she knows how to use her lights and lenses. Like a lot of photographers take some time, you know, and then food gets cold, and no you got to make things look fresh. So she could switch from this light to that light, this angle to that angle really quickly. Um, so we were like lean. And mobile and fast, like a little pit crew. It's the best. And and especially when you're trying to cook real food for a real audience who's going to do it again in their home, why fake it with, like, too much time? No, it's all real food. Yeah. And, and, and like, when you see the steps, it's like that you see the one dish go through the whole process. So it wasn't like, oh, the sear on this wasn't good. Let's get more short ribs and fake it. Like, everything is, like, top to bottom. Everything except for a couple of things happened in one take. Um, and it's all it's all just I want it to look like real food so that you know what it's going to look like in your own kitchen. Process. Let's talk about process shots. I think that that's rare in cookbooks. There was a time when process shots were considered dated and antiquated, but I disagree fully. In our book, Food IQ, we have quite a few. You have many. How did you land on that style? 
Well, I knew I wanted to do at least one per chapter. Cool, cool. And then um, we ended up doing a lot more. more uh, just because we were cooking the food and Laura was like, I'm right here. So we just started taking pictures of it all. Um, and then we ended up with a ton. But what I didn't think about is when you have... So we started out with 10,000 photos. Mm. And then you have to look through all those Dramatic photos. Dramatic pause when you, have to, you say 10,000 photos because that is a fucking lot of photos. Well, yeah, because wow. the way you normally do this with a cookbook is you might have like a thousand or a few hundred and you print them out and you put them on a wall and you look at them to decide what's going to go into the book. But since it was so many, we had to look at it all on the computer. And so just going through the photos and making the selects took a really long time. And then for Laura to go through and edit all that took a really long time. And then for the designer to place all those photos took a really long time. So we didn't realize how everything exponentially got more difficult. Um, but we all got it done. <laughs> no, we did. You know, keying art in a book with, uh, with, with like, four, what do you have, like 1,500 photos in the book? Uh, 5,000. In the book, there's 5,000 photos. I think so, yeah. Oh my God, I'm sorry, like totally mis- undershot. <laughs> wow, that's all, your production editor, if they're listening. They were really mad at us, honestly. Yeah, I would, yeah. people can off, and the production editor, if they're listening, God bless you for doing this book, because that's a lot of photos. Yeah, apparently my editor got really yelled at by the production team. Typical. Yeah. It's always a little bit of that fun tension. Um, but but book is beautiful. And I want to talk about a couple things. Ranch in particular to start. Um, why is ranch the only dressing that matters? Well, it's always been my favorite dressing. Mm. Um. I grew up in California, and I think it's a California thing. Like, you dip everything in ranch. Every dinner party, there was, like, a plate of ranch with stuff around it. Um, And growing up, my favorite ranch was the one from Jack in the Box. Mm. I don't know if you had it. It's, like, it's got, like, a particular level of tang that I appreciate and, like, a nice body. You like tang and body, but not sweetness, right? It's, like, tang is not sweetness. No, it's, it's not very sweet. Good acidity, and it's not, like, the... Hidden Valley, I think, is a little gloopy. We're gonna, I was gonna, you know, even I was gonna say HV because, like, I can't even say those words. No, that ranch no. is so bad. Oh. You know, you know who makes a really good ranch? Oh, I know a lot of people. Let me, tell me. <laughs> we have uh, you guys. We have a ranch seasoning that you can get through Burlap and Barrel. Oh, no doubt. We've linked to it in our in our newsletter. It's, yeah, it's so, actually very good. That Burlap and Barrel has amazing spices, and then we did like our favorite ideal blend. That. Is that makes a lot of sense uh, that you have done a dehydrated ranch and bitter lap and barrel sells it. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, it's perfect. But also ranch, you can really make it your own. So, you know, you just need something creamy, something creamy, mm-hmm. tangy. And like you can play around with that. Like I think traditional would be mayo and sour cream. But we have a lot of fun with it with like labna or yeah. uh, Greek yogurt or kefir. You can kind of get crazy. And then you need... Dill is a must. Always. Always dill. And then yeah. assorted alliums. So like garlic and onion powder might be like classic, but what's really fun is in the spring when there's a lot of alliums, we make like a ramp ranch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, spring garlic ranch. There's so many. Oh, you know what's really amazing? This is very cool. Okay, so you take buttermilk mm-hmm. and then you do like 10% salt, 10% sugar into that buttermilk. And then you put a bunch of ramps in there. Yeah. Make sure it's covered fully. Put like a weight, put it in a clean container and let that ferment for about a week. Okay. So the ramps are like just going in like whole, whole, clean, obviously trimmed and then just boom. 
and and just let it ferment. At, at, at like fridge temp, normal room temp. Fridge? Room temp. Uh huh. Give it a whiff every couple of days and make sure it doesn't explode. Yeah, I was gonna say like there's gonna be like something blowing off the top, like kimchi style. No, just keep an eye on it. And then what <laughs> happens is the ramp itself becomes infused with like ranch. I like a tabletop fermentation project, but I I think of it more like kimchi or namul or things like that. But mm-hmm. damn, with ranch is amazing. I should do that. A kimchi ranch? For a recipe. No, yeah. no, this ramp thing. People need to know about it. It's amazing. Yeah. I worked at a restaurant where we would make that and then you batter and deep fry the ramp. Yeah. And it's like, it's almost like an onion ring that's filled with ranch. You mean the ramp that has been seasoning the ranch is then used as a battered part of the... The ramp that's Oof. been fermented yeah. is then battered and that's, fried. And it's the greatest thing in the world. My favorite ranch is from Buddy's. It's a Detroit... Uh, Detroit pizzeria chain. Mm, I haven't heard it's of it. It's great, but it's definitely got body, which I agree. No one wants that gloopy or thin runny mm-hmm. ranch, but it doesn't have the sweetness of like some of the HV stuff. And No, that, that I, if that's the ranch you know, there's better ranch out there. Is this book informed by any of the CIA textbooks? I ask because textbooks are oftentimes considered textbooks, which is not exciting. But I've had many on the show talk about how much they love their CIA textbooks. Did it inspire you at I all? I hated those. Okay, you're not in that camp. I, ha- I, hate, I hated my whole experience with the CIA. Yeah, yeah. This, this book is inspired by everything that I think is wrong with the CIA. I thought the books were terrible. I was also really upset that they forced you to buy them because in a regular school— if you can't afford to buy all the books, you can you can get them used or you can check them out at the library. It, the whole thing is a scam. I'm letting it pause because <laughs> that is a statement and I totally see what you're saying because, you know, it is a real barrier when you when you join a curriculum that requires you to buy every single book in the catalog mm-hmm. and doesn't give you a lot in return mm-hmm. for buying those books and, of course, the tuition. Sorry that experience sucks. Sucks to hear that. Yeah, I'm, and I, I wasn't a fan of their books. I feel like they don't really go into depth with a lot of the techniques. And instead, it's just like a collection of recipes. And recipes are great. They're fine. But you can get recipes anywhere. I want to learn. So this book is more focused on it gives you amazing recipes for sure. But the real thing that I think is special about the book is that at the top of each chapter, you go in depth about each technique. So you can really learn it. You can learn about the science. You can learn about equipment. You can learn about the the vital skills and then take that away from you so that when you move on to the recipes, you actually know what you're doing. It's really smartly. It's wise, wisely said. And um, just the way it's laid out, uh, the size of the font is nice. I'm not like <laughs> tiny and I'm not like. That was controversial. Yeah. Because it makes the book longer. The font is, um, so the design is really intentional because I'm not a good reader. Uh, not just like for vision things, like I'm I'm a little bit dyslexic. Yeah. So I was trying to make it something that I can actually read. So that's why we have like the big numbers and bold underlines and like big font. Because I, yeah. I want it to be something you can actually read and like have on your counter and actually cook from it. Yeah. I think we all like lose vision over time. You know that I too. never had it. Yeah, you never. Some people don't ever have it. So, um, I love it. I love that it's accessible. I love paging through it. I'm looking at page four thirty nine, and four forty and four forty one. It's just like we're talking about molasses there. Like we're talking like we're putting we're putting in the work about molasses. I don't think people know what molasses is. I agree. And it's an amazing ingredient. And I think when you learn more about it, you'll want to use it more. Yeah. Um. Moving on a little bit. Uh. To did you ever get burned out while you were writing this book? I, I, you know, I it's two hundred recipes. Does it does it just get tough at times? 
Yeah. I mean, I think the whole experience of making the book was horrible. <laughs> it's really hard, um, especially preach. Uh, working from home, like working in a test kitchen is different because you got a walk in fridge and you have a bunch of people tasting and giving you opinions. But when you're at home, you're you're alone with your thoughts. Well, I'm lucky because I have my husband, mm -hmm. but it's like you you kind of get like caught up in your head and it's hard to know if something's good or if something's done. Sometimes I'll test something forever and then ultimately go back to the first version. And that's just so much time and money that you just spent like doing yeah. that, making yeah. that step. Yeah. And it's maddening. Yeah. It's absolutely maddening. And then the writing process I found really difficult because I'm not a writer. Um, really? No, I'm a cook. Yeah. And then I just kind of fell into writing. I don't know anything about mm. writing. Mm. Um, so it took me a while to figure out how to write. And for me, I realized I explain things the best when I'm talking. So I actually did all voice recordings. And then like backed into the writing through those transcripts or just like going back to them and writing. Yeah. Like I, 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 would, I, like I did a bunch of outlines and then I would like look at them and then talk to myself. And then, and then I would transcribe that and then end up fleshing that out because when I was just sitting there and just writing, it didn't sound like me and it sounded a little overwrought and like I wanted to be fun. And oh my gosh, that's such a great tip. I mean, for all writing to like not rely on that like pen or to pad or t finger to keyboard voice that's like fake. Yeah. And technology makes it easy. It does. <laughs> so. it, it does. I loved seeing the cake tester in the meat shots because I, I think I use that all the time, that method of testing meat doneness with the cake tester. Mm. It's like not as well known, I feel. So talk about that. Yeah. I mean, that's how you check for doneness in restaurants. Actually, cake tester, it's a bad name because it's really bad for cakes. I've never used mine for cakes. I don't think anyone should use it for a cake. It's uh, too slick. I truly feel like every cake is done because when you put a cake tester into a cake, it doesn't ever show anything. It's, it's exactly like a cake tester. It's just like this really thin, smooth metal. So when you put it in cake, it doesn't, the crumbs don't stick to it. So I always do a toothpick for cake. But a cake tester is great at just feeling the internal temperature of things and to see if like meat and veg are tender. Because when you poke something with a knife, it's, it's sharp. So you don't get as good of a vibe mm -hmm. of whether or not it's tender, but a blunt cake tester going just smoothly into short rib, you know, it's ready to go. You want it to go in and out very quickly, right? Mm -hmm. And feel like there's no, uh, there's nothing blocking it, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then in professional kitchens, that's how you check the doneness of like fish and meat. You put the cake tester in, let it hang out for a second, and then you feel the warmth on your lips. Yep. I do that. Um, and if you don't have a cake tester, because sometimes like, you know, if I'm cooking at my in-laws or something, just get a paperclip, open it up. Same thing. You just need thin metal to poke things with. So it should, like the doneness of like a ribeye, we're talking about like maybe two and a half inches thick and you're putting the cake tester and it goes in and out quickly. You put it on lower lip or upper lip. What are you trying to feel for doneness? See, that's one of those things. <laughs> I think it's just from experience. And when you work in a restaurant and you make like... Like if you work in a steakhouse, you're going to cook like 100 steaks a day and mm -hmm. you just know it in your bones. That's like one of those things that I think the best way to learn it is use a thermometer and feel the cake tester and then train your yeah. lip to know what 125 feels like or 135 feels like because it's very hard to just guess. That's great advice. I mean, you, you know, you know exactly what the number is from the thermometer and just like match it up. Yeah. And you, your gut will learn it. I promise it's good poached chicken breast is a big promise because I am not good at that. 
and many people who listen to the show are not good at that poaching chicken breast, but that is the title of your chicken breast recipe. This is good chicken breast, um, but um, you, I'm going to make you work for it a little bit. So the first thing is we're starting with bone-in skin on. Not used enough. Thank yeah, you. It's a lot more flavorful. Yeah. Um, and more importantly, when you have the bone-in, things just like cook a little bit more gently. Um, and when with this chicken breast, you're going to actually want to eat the skin because the next step is that it's dry brined. Oh, cool. What talk, Tell us through that. So dry brining is really simple. You just sprinkle something with salt, let it hang out, and the salt will uh, dissolve from the moisture from the meat, form a concentrated brine on the surface, and then it gets sucked back in. And then the salt does several things. It seasons it obviously, but then it also breaks down some of the proteins into this gel that retains moisture, and it also helps break down fat, which will render more easily, evenly. And most people think about dry brining with dry heat methods like roasting, and it's great for that. But it's great for like any cooking method, because when you dry brine your chicken breast before poaching, it makes sure that it stays super moist. All of the fat on the skin is going to render. It's going to be super tender. And even if you like aren't amazing at controlling the temp it's going to be perfect it's going to have a margin of error that you can you can work into so i fully agree all i always dry brine all my meat like one one or two percent by volume mm -hmm. by or by weight um on the scale i mean it's such a good tip you have to dry brine it's like you it'll help the cooking process not just for flavor as yeah. you just said really smart um and so you have to work a little bit for it so when you're done with this beautifully poached perfectly cooked chicken breast what are you doing with it then well, so I also recommend poaching it in broth. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. So, so the chicken is super flavorful, and then you get this, like, reinforced, very flavorful broth. So you get two things that can do a lot of stuff. Um, and then I give you just simple stuff to do with it. Chicken soup, chicken salad, and, like, a, hmm. a chicken rice kind of riff where yeah. you cook the mm. rice with the broth and then you have it with the poached chicken and the scallion ginger garlic sauce. But um, it's a great thing to do, like make several and have in your fridge and then you have this like really flavorful broth that you can use for cooking vegetables, cooking grains, mm. making pan sauces, and then, you know, you got your great poached chicken that is actually very good. Uh, you know, you you back up the, back up the headline. Um, how long is this broth staying? Do you just like keep it in your fridge for a few days? I think it'll be fine for five days. Five days. But if you are not going to finish it, pop it in the freezer yeah. right away, and then you'll have three months. Um, I love that photo of you decorating a cake in the very back of the book. Oh yeah, that's really cute. I love like that. Cakes. <laughs> it's really fun. There's like some great photos of you. Speaking of desserts, uh, the olive oil sambafredo and dark chocolate chips that speaks to me. I feel like baking with olive oil or doing a sambafredo with olive oil is intimidating. But you've figured out a way to not make it intimidating. Well, it's uh, olive oil is really good in desserts because it has a lot of it brings a lot to it because it's got like grassy notes and bitterness that really help balance out sweet. And I think it works particularly well with chocolate. And um, because olive oil has this fruitiness, it also makes like bad chocolate taste better. Yep. Because like expensive chocolate naturally has fruitiness. So a little drizzle of olive oil can trick you into thinking you're eating something even better. But I, I hear you. There's like a there, there's a way that they work together and you can fill in the blanks or you can kind of change blemishes in the in the chocolate. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. And and so Semifredo, how do you actually think about like the timing of this for a dinner party? Well, so Semifredo, 
I went with it because I wanted an ice cream, but I didn't want you to have to get an ice cream machine. Yeah. So this is a great way to do that. And um, it's very riffable. So once you have one solid semi-fredo recipe in your pack pocket, you can make all, all 31 flavors. <laughs> um, and you don't have to do anything. It'll be in your freezer. And when you have people over, you scoop it just like yeah, ice cream. It's, it's really ready smart. to go. I'm glad you said that. Add some toppings Add if some you toppings. feel crazy. And it's homemade. Makes it better. Mm-hmm. On This Is Taste, we ask guests about their discerning taste. So to close this interview, here's a little rapid-fire Fast and Furious taste check. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. The best breakfast? Vaselka. We've gone it. We've right? reviewed it. Yeah. We've reviewed it. We don't need to even go there. The best dessert? Ice cream. Flavor? Vanilla. Uh, Haagen-Dazs, yay or nay? It's solid, but not my first choice. What's your first choice? I'm really into McConnell's yeah. Golden State Vanilla. Um, and then there's another one that I can't remember the name of. There was a time when McConnell's, <laughs> for whatever reason, at my local Brooklyn grocery store was like $4.99 a pint. It's like $12. It's $12 now. There was like this moment for like six months where they were like giving it away, basically. I had a scoop of that yesterday mm. with some Lucky Charms. Nice. Lucky Charms is like a topping. It's a very good ice cream topping. Love that. Um, your favorite American fast food chain? In and out. Um, order? The animal style cheeseburger, well done fries, and a chocolate shake. Oh man, always, always get the shake. Oh, it's a great console. Your favorite cookbook of all time? On Food and Cooking by Harold McGee. Yeah. Not exactly a cookbook, but I think it makes you a better cook. Food adjacent. You've read it. Oh, over and over again. We have three copies. There's like one in every room. <laughs> Favorite recent cookbook discovery? Baking in the 20th Century Cafe. I think that's the title. The San Francisco restaurant? Yes, yes. It's got a lot of really amazing recipes um, and a lot of different things that I haven't made before, a lot of classic stuff. A few more. The most overrated kitchen gear? Overrated like you shouldn't have it? Yeah. The Instant Pot? Yeah. Just get a regular pressure cooker. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Underrated. Fight a prep blender, or is that just does everyone have one? Absolutely not. I feel like if you can get gifted a Vita prep or Vita mix, or you can barter, holy shit, yeah. I think it's a really good investment. It's so good. everyone should have a Vita prep. If you're wondering why, like, you go to a restaurant and something is super silky or soft or creamy yeah. or how they do it, it's the Vita prep. It's not magic. Yeah, it's great. Your favorite vegetable? Radishes. Your favorite sandwich? BLT. Uh, is there a bread choice? I like the Pullman from La Cabra. Specific, appreciated, agree. <laughs> you live right by there, don't you, La Cabra? <laughs> that place is, what a scene. What a scene. I can't, I mean, like, the, not just the cardamom buns, but just, like, getting coffee there. What a scene. Oh, you got to go before eight. Oh, local knowledge here. No, if you go after eight, it's crazy. It's tough. It's, yeah. So, Whaley, thank you so much for joining This Is Taste. Thanks for having me. This is Taste is hosted by Eliza Abarbanel and me, Matt Rodbar. The show is produced by Shalia Harris and Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. Theme music by Steve Rydell. Visit Taste online at tastecooking.com and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter for updates on all cool things that are happening.